Greetings to the wisdom community. This is Reverend Jay Glover, and you are listening to Faith Talk. I am so excited today for a couple of reasons. Uh, I'm excited that uh, about our topic today. Our topic is um, an introduction to biblical thought. Part one. And the reason why I've selected this topic today is simply because um, I've noticed that there are many people that make judgments about God, about Christianity, about the church and religion based all on what they see people doing or what they have been told by someone. And when I say what they see people doing, I mean they usually point out the negative behaviors by people that identify themselves as being Christians. In other words, they, they like to point out the hypocrisy. Um, and this becomes an excuse or reason for them to, to um, not be involved with uh, organized religion at all. So this is one of the reasons. Now, th what they do is they, they, they observe what people do, they listen to what people tell them, and they make conclusions about God and religion without ever even reading God's love letter to people, which is the Bible. So this is not critical thinking. They're not taking a a, a critical look, they're, uh, they're making their judgments based on what people have told them and what people do. Um, so what we decided to do is to, in response to this dilemma, what we've decided to do is to take a look at um, the themes that are articulated um, at an introductory level um, through several of the books um, in the Bible. This is, will be particularly good for someone who has never read the Bible. Uh, this is an opportunity to um, catch up, as they say, on, on some things that are there. Now, the second thing I'm excited about today is that I have a guest. And, and, and the guest who is on the stage is, is Jacqueline Goff McNish. She's a, a professor of English and humanities. She teaches composition, introduction to literature, African-American literature, the Bible is literature, and Caribbean literature. So I want to um, thank Jacqueline Goff McNish for being here. She's also a superintendent at a local Sunday school. Um, I want to thank her for joining us in, on this platform, and we look forward to this discussion. Today's discussion is going to be around the very first book in the Bible, um, Genesis, which um, we'll get an opportunity to talk about um, the creation story and Adam and Eve. So Jackie, thanks for coming. Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly fine. This is good, this is good. And thank you for that welcome. All right, so we, we want to, um, today again, we want to uh, um, begin by taking a look at the creation story and see what, um, see how it speaks to us, see how God speaks to us through this story. And perhaps we can, um, uh, you know, the very beginning of the book, it starts out like this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So before we get started, I just want to say say this, that we're making, we're making a, um, uh, we're going to raise one point. There's a term that's called um, creatio ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. God in the beginning, out of nothing, created the heavens and the earth. And as we read, as I just read, it says, now the earth was formless and empty. So this is the very beginning stages. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now we get to the point where God begins to speak order into chaos. Um, and this is, we're entering into this creation process, and it is a process um, of bringing order into chaos. So now, Jackie, would you like to speak to that? So um, the creation story has always been absolutely fascinating to me for many reasons. And I approach this discussion from two sides. I am a born-again Christian, and so I approach this as a Christian. But I also have a look at it from a literature point of view. What are some things about this literature so that we can look at the words? What are the words saying? And how are the words giving us information? So those are my two approaches. So back to your question, Jay. Um, when I think of um, creation story, and I think of God creating something out of nothing, out of what existed as nothing, which we know is the chaos that existed, you think of so why, so how, so where, so when, and begin to ask those questions. Amen. Amen. Well, that sounds like a good place to start. I would I, I also like to say that the um, when you talk about the, the how, I would like to just add and throw in here that when God speaks, his words are performative. In other words, when he says it, it is. <laughs> when he starts out by saying, let there be light, the Bible says, and there was light. It didn't, just, it didn't say that um, light thought about it for a little while and had to make a decision whether or not it would be, but it was. And the same thing happens in our lives. So, so, you know, creation stories are all over. Every culture has its own creation story. Um, there are Native American creation stories. There are Caribbean creation stories. And, of course, we know the scientific creation story, right, is the evolution. We know there are multiple creation stories. The huge difference with this creation story is... It is not trying to explain the how, because God didn't, like Jay, uh, Reverend Glover just said, God didn't say, okay, maybe next time. God said it and it happened. So it's not a how. For me, it's a that. God said it and that was it. God didn't explain, okay, maybe I should wait for the animals to grow up, or maybe I should think of how water is made. No, God said, let there be. He named it and that was it. And that's the unique difference 
with this creation story from most of the cultural creation stories that we hear is that God said it and that was it. Amen. Amen. That is for sure. Um, one thing I would also like to add here is that just as a as a note for somebody who maybe ne never read this before is when at this very beginning stage, um, God says, let there be light. And there was light. And um, I have, you know, this wasn't the sunlight just yet. The sun was placed in the in the sky at a later point. So I would like to read this as being the, the God, the light of God himself. Yes, because the sun was not until the fourth day. So the, like Reverend Jay said, that light that we hear about in the first, uh, distinguishing the first day, distinguishing between light and darkness, takes us to the symbolism of light and darkness. And I'm sure even if you have minimal acquaintance with the Bible, you have heard that expression of light and darkness. And as different parts of the Bible speak to the light and darkness, I'm sure you are acquainted with the idea that light is total and darkness is absence. So if we go from even a simple meaning like that, that light is total and darkness is absence, then the first day of creation, we're now having total rather than absence. And God, and it's um, that first, those first few verses, because up on verses one through eight, speak specifically of that first day where God is making something out of nothing, total out of absence. And that's just the first day. Mm -hmm. Well, praise God. So I guess it's also important to note as, you know, every once in a while, we're going to throw in a little bit of application of how this could possibly, what we can draw from this for our own lives. And right away, we see that God enters into a process of creation. He didn't just snap his fingers and everything was in existence at in one shot. So, and it's so it is with our lives. Um, you don't wake up one morning um, and everything is complete in your life and, and you no longer need to learn anything. You got saved, as they say, and now you've reached a perfection in life. No, it's a journey. It's a lifelong journey, and we like to refer to this journey as sanctification. And, and uh, you learn and you grow. It's a growing process. So God took the time to, to um, in this creation process, to, to, to put things in order, piece at a time, and he does the same thing with our lives. And, and I think what is very exciting about that let me let me talk about the days because i think this is exciting so day one we hear about light and darkness day two is the water and the land day three is the earth and the trees and the plants that's day three day four is sun and moon day five is animals and day six he makes man 
So you, uh, the process that Reverend Jay talked about is what you see deliver, de, uh, being delivered over time and it's developing. And of course, you know, people could argue that these are not really days. Well, you know, God did say that a day is like a thousand years. So I'm not going to argue that point. But what we can say, though, is there was a process, like Jay uh, pointed out. There was a process. Started at one point, and it got to another point. Amen. And in this particular account, um, humanity enters the picture in the latter stages of this account. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't that he cre in this portion of the the creation story. It was in the latter portion of the first chapter that man enters into the um, uh, into the picture. And you know, you could argue, Jay, that God knew that he needed to have all that stuff ready for mm -hmm. when man came. <laughs> mm -hmm. You could argue. Well, you know, it's it's about provision, and God God put things over. in order. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, finish your thought. I'm sorry. No, I said um, it was about provision and God was getting things ready for his people. Yes, because I, I, because I've just read it over recently, I look how God provided everything for man. It was, I'm not just talking about a physical provision here. I'm talking about a social emotional, psychological, you could even say economical provision. God had all that stuff ready for man so that when man came on day six, there was everything that man needed to develop. Amen. So I, I, would, I would say that um, in the lushness of the garden, in the context of the garden, this was prosperity in his purest form. Amen. Man had everything that he needed. Yes. To, as and, he said, it's to fascinating. It, it's mm -hmm. fascinating because as, and, and, and you know what's exciting about it is by the, this, this takes place in the first two chapters of Genesis. By the time we get to Genesis chapter three, we have a new spring which we'll talk about another time. But up to the end of chapter two, we see the total development of man. And of course, we cannot miss the point that woman came along in verse uh, 23 of chapter two. Of course, some could argue, some could argue, and I've argued over the years that when God said, let us make man, Mm -hmm. And the word them is used. Some would argue that, you know, come on, whatever does that mean? Mm -hmm. But we know that he took, it said, a rib out of Adam and created the woman. Mm -hmm. And that happened in chapter two. Mm -hmm. So God set it up for Adam's success. He didn't just piece by piece set it up for Adam's success in the first two chapters of the Bible within the creation of all the elements. Okay, so then when we, when we um, get down to the end of the first chapter, it says God 
uh, after all, naming all the provisions that he gave, the trees and the fruits and the seeds and the green plants for food, um, it says that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. He made an assessment of his own work and said it was very good. There was evening and there was morning. And now by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And it said, the Bible says in the beginning of chapter two that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And I just like to say this before Jackie comes back in. Um, we've made a lot out of this day of rest. And sometimes I think we've corrupted the idea of rest. I think we've created more work, more religious work on the day of rest as opposed to resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So we, we've kind of like come up with things that we can do and shouldn't do, won't do, and, and all of this kind of logistics as opposed to fully embracing God's finished work at the cross through his son. And, and, you, and, and resting. So I like that you sort of brought that up, Jay, because you wonder what does that mean, resting? And we see that symbolism throughout the whole Bible. We see uh, the idea of rest in the land every seven years, and etc. So we see that uh, 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 quite a bit, the idea of the seventh day and the rest. But uh, I'm glad you brought that up, because then what is rest? What is it? What does it really mean? And, and, and what I think of is this idea of creating a balance. So, you know, I mean, our everyday lives, we work, 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 and we get what they would call burnt out. <laughs> burnt out, yes. And, and part of that is because we are not resting. But what does rest really mean? Does it mean not doing? Or does it mean finding a space, finding a space where we can think clearer, finding a space where we can assess our lives, finding a space where we can take a moment of pause. Is that what rest means? Because it feels like this is what God is, especially is calling us to do, especially in the world in which we now live, which is absolutely fast paced. It's almost like God is saying, cool it down, slow it down, take a moment. And in those moments, think about what I do for you. Think about what I want you to do, you know? Hey, man, so we, 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 you know, instead of doing that, we get so busy, as you said, we're so fast paced that we um, often pencil God in spending time with God in prayer and thought, um, maybe till the end of the day when we're falling asleep. <laughs> and and we, we go to lay down and we say, well, now I'll pray right now, and you end up falling asleep. So it's good to rest, to find time to spend with God and rest with the Lord in his presence and in conversation with God and just put aside the cares and the busyness of the world. Put that on hold for a second while you get yourself together with the Lord. Now, I, I, that reminds me of, of uh, 
you know, we were in a vacation Bible school session and, and, and brought up the fact that there's a table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. And, and I was reminded that when I thought about this table of communion with God, I thought about how Jesus reclined at the table and rested there, rested in knowing that God is good and God was complete and all that was needed was God. And, and, you know, I, I love that. I love that idea of Jesus reclining. Because it does speak to this idea of rest. Another thing that comes to mind, though, when I look at the Garden of Eden, it, it brings me to Revelation 21 and 22. Because there, it's talking about paradise restored. And what we see in the Garden of Eden is paradise. Paradise created, that place. And, and, and you know, fas what fascinates me is that God would come down in the cool of the evening and commune with Adam. I mean, that is rest. That is resting, you know, in the cool of the evening. And when you think of paradise restored, all those things, that are described in Revelation, it takes us back to that moment of rest again. So I, I'm, I'm liking this idea of rest. I wanna just take a moment and there are, there are a few people in the room. I, I don't wanna um, name everybody's name, but I just wanna take a moment to thank the people who are listening in for spending a little time with us as we um, go through a, an introduction to, to biblical thought coming from the very first book in the Bible. It, um, so thank you for being here and hope you stay a while and listen in. So when we get down to the second chapter, now we, we've already talked about how God created everything out of nothing, right? And, and we talked about that it was a process and, and at the end of this process, towards the end of this, the, the, um, the uh, first chapter, we see how God created um, man. And it says God created man in his own image. But it says, um, I, I, we can't skip over this. It said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and, and so forth. So when it says, again, this is maybe for somebody who never read this before, but when it says, um, let us make man, my, my, I ascribe to the idea that this is the, where we first see the Trinitarian concept of, of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, somebody, I've heard people say things like, oh, it's a heavenly host. And I say, well, I, I, I just like to think about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when it says, let us make man in our image. And, and, and to me that um, I, I have a similar belief because in, in the first uh, chapter, it tells us that the Spirit hovered over. So we know the Holy Spirit is Amen. Present. And when we look at John, um, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, it said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So we know it is telling us, pointing us back to the fact that Jesus was there in the very beginning when God spoke the world into being. So I totally agree with you when it says let us, that helps me to understand 
that is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because the us is um, defined further, is defined there and further. And by the time we get to the time um, when uh, God is reprimanding Adam and Eve and the serpent for their misdeeds, which we will get to, he does bring up Jesus mm -hmm. because he said the son will bruise your heel. Amen. So we, we sort of, you know, get that idea that Jesus was very present in creation. Mm -hmm. So now, now we move on to the beginning of this second chapter. And I want people to, as we look at it, to kind of, um, first of all, if you have a Bible handy, it would be a good idea to open it up. And, and just rest in the in the second chapter of Genesis. If not, you can just listen along as we as we talk. Um, but we find that uh, it says God finished the work, and now He rested from His work. And He wasn't resting because He was tired. Okay, that's not the truth. Um, now, then another narrative begins, and it says, "This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created." Now. There are some differences in this account and the second account, and, I, and see if you could pick up on them um, in terms of the, let's say, maybe the character of God or who God is. How do you see God differently in the, in the portion of Scripture that we just reviewed, and how do you see God in this one as it continues on? I think it, it puts another... Um, another uh, view on who God is on the person of God. So it starts out by saying, when the Lord had made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field yet had sprung up. Um, it goes on to say that the Lord did what? The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So, uh, okay, you have been thinking so much, I have to pause. One of the things I notice about chapter two, um, yes, it is sort of going over what we heard in chapter one, those six days, seven, six days of creation. But something that's interesting in chapter two, it begins to be very specific about naming things. You know, people ask, so what's in a name? What's in a name? So now we're hearing about the, um, the mist, that there was not just water, but there is now a mist. So it's like we're getting the details now. So, and water, that the mist watered the whole earth in, ver in verse 6. And then that idea of the dust, before we just heard that he formed man. Now in verse 7, it is very specific that it's from the dust and that he was breathing the breath of life into the nostrils. And then when we get down to about verse 10, we hear specifically about the river. And of course, the, the four parts of the river, by the time we get to verses 11 through uh, 14, very, very specific. It's almost as if the writers of Genesis want to say, Okay, we gave you the general stuff. Now let's tell you the specific stuff. And, and, and back to that idea of naming. 
Because Adam, in verse 20, is now naming the cattle and the fowl of the air. And of course, what's in a name? What's in a name? Let's mess with Jay for a minute. His name is Jay Stuart Glover. Okay, that's his name. That speaks to his persona, who he is, his personality. And, if, and Jay is a Jay, I can tell you that. When he puts the Stuart in there now, it formalizes a little bit. And then don't remember, forget that his name is also Glover. So that idea of what the name means and what it stands for. And as Adam is naming these animals that we know were created before, now we're getting the specific information about them because that's what the naming does. So that's the same thing we see in chapter 2 up until about verse 21 is now the specific naming. Amen. So Jackie, I love that the, the word you use specific because, um, and I don't want, I guess I'm jumping ahead of my thought, but it's okay. Um, I guess now's the time. So what I see, you said specific, and I like the word intimate. See the very in the, in the first in the first account that we read, it said um, when it gets to man, it says, "Let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them rule." Right? Blah blah blah. Then it says, "So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female He created them." Right? It's almost like the the one of the differences between the first account and this one is the, I like to use the words. Um, transcendent or sovereign and 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 this one is imminent so we get to see god in the first account in a in a in a far off sovereign capacity where god is do, creating the uni universe but now in this one it's it's an intimate um imminent intimate uh where god he he forms man from the dust of the earth with his hands and he breathes the breath of life into him and and he picks him up and places him in this garden of provision so it's now it's a whole intimate conversation and and the scholarly um one scholarly view is that these two accounts were written by one by a priestly hand the first one where everything is done in such orderly fashion and this one was perhaps um, the suggestion is that it was written by the Southern, an author from the, the writer from the Southern Kingdom. The other part of it too, I just have to go back a little bit to chapter one. Male and female created he them. Mm -hmm. But when we get to chapter two, it explains the them. One is Adam and one is Eve. You know, I find that very interesting. And I've heard arguments over the years that the them, the man that was created, is both of them in one. But like we just said, chapter one is general, chapter two is specific. And just like we did general for the earth and the sun and so on, and then the specifics in chapter two, also tells us specific what it means when he said he created man, Adam, and Eve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So very, very specific when we get to chapter two. And I like your word. I like the idea of intimate. You know, intimate, intimate. And uh, another thing I see here too, I like your word intimate. It says in the King James Version, 
that God saw sanctified it. He sanctified the seventh day. So that word, and then that idea, that theme, goes throughout all of chapter 2, where it introduces the sanctification of this stuff. Amen. So let's see now. Then we get to the point where the story starts to get really interesting. I mean, it's been really interesting up to this point. But it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in this Garden of Eden with a purpose. And that purpose was to work it and to take care of it. And one of the problems that we face today is that we have not taken care of this garden that we've been placed in. And we've, we've actually harmed it. Yes, yes. And so that's, that's one of the things that, um, what do they call it? Global, uh, global sustainability, the whole theology of global sustainability has its roots in the biblical text. Mm -hmm. So then we get to this. So he places him, again, this is very personal. Now God picks him up and puts him in the garden after he, he, breathed, he formed him by his hand. He breathed the breath of life into him and now he's picking him up and putting him in the garden that he created that had everything that he needed, but he gave him, he didn't just put him in there and tell him, you know, have fun. <laughs> he gave him a job. He said, you are to work this thing and take care of it. Yes. And then comes something real interesting. He gives him some boundaries. Yes. Which are what? You are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Yes. So now we have, he's got, a, he has provision. The man has the provision. It's a paradise. He has a purpose, a job, which is to take care of it. And he has some boundaries. Yes. And that reminds me of our lives today. You know, God has picked us up and placed us on the, the, the road of the river of sanctification. We have a purpose and we also have some boundaries. Yes. You're not born again or, or redeemed from sin to into nothing. You're redeemed from sin into life or move, you move from darkness into life with purpose. And that purpose is to serve God and all of humanity, right? So, so now this, this, um, this, you know, some people get have scholarly arguments about what is this tree of life and what is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. At this level of the discussion, I would just like to say that it's a boundary that's been set in place and, and um, it represents a choice. You know, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I, 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 I can't see why people get all caught up trying to define the tree. I think the, the, the lesson here is that God said it. God said, this is, I'm giving you everything else, don't touch this one. And the idea of obedience, wanting to have the man obey him, seems to be what I think God is going for here. The idea of whatever is the knowledge of tree, that's not it. It is, will you obey me? 
after I've done all this for you, proven that you're special to me, now all I'm asking of you, one little thing, obedience. Amen. Amen. That's that's a tough one. Um, and that, that us being uh, obedient means that we're submitting ourselves to the will of God and hoping that our will becomes in line with God's will because God knows what's best for us um, better than we know for ourselves. But at this point in the story, um, uh, it says, you know, he tells him for remember this for the first time, per, the person who's hearing this for the first time, when God said, don't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, he didn't say if you eat it. When? He said, when you eat of it, guess what? You will surely die. He didn't say if you eat it, you might die. He said, when you eat it, you will surely die. So in other words, this is, this is prophetic <laughs> because it's not... God knows what he's going to do because he knows he had the choice and he knows what's going to happen. So then he says, the Lord, right after that pronouncement or, or, or this, this word to, to Adam, by the way, folks, um, Eve was nowhere around at this point in this account. I'm waiting to say that. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you say it, Jackie. You have, you have your Bible there with you? Oh, yes, I have. So, so verse 18, what does it say? And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. So I'll make him a help that is appropriate for him. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. So he didn't say, I'm going to make, I'm going to give you somebody that will do the dishes for you. No, it's not a help mate. <laughs> you notice how pause that means. Appropriate. So, right. you know, a lot of <clears throat> men like to read that word as a helpmate. It's a help meet. <laughs> that is somewhat appropriate. <laughs> somewhat appropriate is what that is suggesting. So, so when I look up, when I looked up um, this, this, you know, we had a discussion a little while ago about, about women in the church and, and the ability of, of women to take leadership roles in the church that I fully support if they're called by God, right? Um, 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 the help, the word help, the help me, right, was um, uh, one who fortified, one who strengthened, one who protected. So it wasn't certainly, it certainly was not a position of servitude. Or more importantly, it wasn't a position of being less than. Yes. That's what I'm getting at. It wasn't that the woman was less than. So for people who are listening today, and, and you know, listen, I'm telling you how I feel about it. Um, there, are, there are people who, who think that women shouldn't be in leadership roles in the church. Um, I'm fully supportive of, of it as long as they're called by God. But some, some people say that no. The woman should, you know, they pull out some some scriptures from somewhere else, and we'll get to that at some point. Um, that's that they believe justifies the fact that women shouldn't be pastors of a church or a teacher of a man or anything like that. So we'll come back to that because I can I can really get excited about that. You know, the other part of this before uh, Adam is put into this deep sleep. 
after God says, I will make him and help meet for him, there are two verses there that talks about, about what Adam does. And part of that, Adam is naming all these animals. And in my baptized imagination, what I'm hearing is Adam is trying to find that help that is appropriate for him. And the Bible actually said that after naming all these people, all these animals, and uh, forgive me, all these animals, that this is his exposure is to these animals. He does not find anyone, you know? Okay, so let's go back a little. So after God declares that he is gonna do this, do you see Adam trying to do his own thing? It's like so much like what we do. God announces he's going to do something for us. But here is Adam trying to name, right? The animals. Because guess what? It tells us Adam. Um, but for Adam, there was not found an help appropriate for him. Mm -hmm. Even though he's there trying to name them. Trying to name them. Mm -hmm. And, and you know... Um... I guess that the Bible goes on to say that the Lord put him in to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Then it says that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother to be united with his, to his wife and they will become one flesh. The, the man and his wife, and this is how this chapter closes out. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So, so I'm going to back up just a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, when uh, verse 23 this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from out of man. What I find interesting there is that it's a capital M and a capital W. And that could be because it's the King James Version. But I'm fascinated by the King James Version because the English teacher in me says that that capitalization is a title. So that idea of man and woman, those are characteristics rather than a specific name and said, because later in the next verse, when it says they were both naked and the man and his wife, and we're not ashamed, it goes back to using lowercase m. So this, this is interesting to me that it's using the uppercase m taken out of man, not taken out of a man. That Amen. I find interesting. You know, I, I, this is a joke now, but it's true. And it's, it's a sad joke. Somebody once tried to educate me by telling me that the word woman actually meant woe to the man. <laughs> <laughs> so, and of course, I don't support that. So, so now we find the man and his wife both feeling no shame at this point. And that's really interesting. Um, 
half of half of our personality issues and tensions come from from our own personal shames. And at that point, at that this point in the story, they felt no shame. But the story's getting ready to take a twist. But but, but let's just say this too. But at this point, Adam had everything. Adam had everything, and so did Eve. Because let's let, let's break it down just a little bit. So we can say he was socially fulfilled because he now had a companion, but he also had God who met with him in the cool of the evening. So that's the social fulfillment. We could say he had an emotional fulfillment because this idea that they were now together, right? And of course there must be some good feelings going on because they were naked and didn't even see it. So they're totally distracted by their relationship, I'm saying. So there's an emotional fulfillment. Then when you think Adam had gone through his intellectual fulfillment because he was able to name the animals and the trees and he knew the names of the rivers. So he was thinking, he was a thinking man, intellectual fulfillment. We could even say there was a sort of a physical fulfillment because he was who God had made. He had nothing wrong with him because God had made him. So when it says in verse 25, they were naked and not ashamed because they were physically in a good place. Perfect. God had made them. And this one is interesting. You might not all agree with me, but I think he had economic fulfillment because he wanted for nothing. He had the trees to eat his food. He had a place to live. He had water to drink and to bathe in. All the things that we try to find, you know, in buying a house and working in order to have the lights on and so on and so forth. He had all of that. This was prosperity in its purest form. Absolutely. He didn't have to name and claim nothing. He had it. So um, before we move on to the third chapter, I have to do a little commercial here. I just want to remind folks that um, this podcast episode will be played by tomorrow, maybe even tonight. It'll be up on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google, and it'll also be on YouTube accompanied by a um, you know short video background and mute light music <clears throat> so um, I, again I want to thank um, Professor Jacqueline Goff McNish for coming in with this um, to join this conversation I want to thank the people that are listening in I see there's like 41 people on the on the stage in the room I want to thank you for coming in so now you are listening to faith talk and we're going to continue on with um, the, the chapter three, which the, the editors and, and many people refer to as the fall of man. Okay, and it's saying we're introduced to another character in this story who is named as a serpent. As the Bible says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, so now we've got right away, I have a difficulty here, we have a talking snake. <laughs> so the, the moral of the story, the lesson is this, if you run into a talking snake. Run. 
Yeah, don't have, don't engage the conversation. <laughs> so the snake said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So, so Jackie, what was the snake trying to do? So, you know, it is what the snake tries to do all the time. It's to have you doubt the word of God. To doubt what you already know that you know that you know. Putting doubt in the mind of Eve and questioning what God had actually said. And, 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 the, and, and the thing is, the snake has not stopped. Because the snake tried it in the wilderness when he was attempting to tempt Jesus. Come with what he thinks he knows and put a spin on it, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's a forcing Eve to say, really? To question. Is mm -hmm. that really what God said? Mm -hmm. That's why we have to study the word. Amen. We know that we know that we know. Otherwise, when the snake comes, when the serpent comes with the half truths, you see, we will not know how to say, ah, ah, that's not what the word says. Mm -hmm. And this is why, this is why we're doing this, this little series is because I'm telling you, people make conclusions about God. They draw conclusions about God based on what they heard, not about what they read for themselves. Um, so the woman answers this serpent and she says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent says to the woman, you will not surely die. Mm. Now, so right away, you know, I, I, made, I put an emphasis when we were in the, in the other chapter. I said, please remember that God said, when, when you eat it, you will surely die. And here the serpent is saying, you will not surely die. And then he gives a reason. The serpent gives a suggestion. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open mm. and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So now here's a question. We all want to be Christ-like, right? But that's, that's not the context in which this is written. The, the context here is for me, um, when it says you will be like God, that kind of takes on the, um, the uh, notion of being independent from God, no longer needing God. If, you, Absolutely. If, you, if you're like him, you don't need him. Why would you depend on somebody that you're equal to in, in that sense or as, as, a, as God over your life? So it, it appeals to her pride. Yes. Because the serpent knows, the serpent knows exactly what he's doing. Because, you know, there's one scripture that said he was smarter than most of the animals around him. Yeah, so he knew exactly what to use to tempt her. And somehow he must have got the impression that what she wanted was to be equal to God. So mm -hmm. let's, use, let's use the thing that she really wants to get her attention. Now, how about that? And, and what can we say about that with our own lives? Well, <laughs> yes. You know, I can tell you, one of, the, one of my things is I can't shut up. I talk all the time. 
And so I have to, every time that scripture that reminds me about the tongue, it's a scripture I have all the time in front of me because I know that the serpent will use the thing that is my weakness, the desire to talk all the time. So that's what the serpent will do. Mm -hmm. So then it tells us, you know, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. So you want to see all the stuff that the devil just appealed to. Her eyes. So she saw, right? Food mm -hmm. to her stomach, her belly, that <laughs> she can be filled, right? So she saw that it was pleasant. She thought she was going to eat it and really be good, have a good time, and her stomach was going to be full. But it also, he also appealed to her brain that she was going to be wise. She was going to be really, really smart. Think about that. All the parts of you that, you know, are primary in making you comfortable and happy. Yeah? That's mm -hmm. what Satan just appealed to. Mm-hmm. So she, um, she took it, she ate some, and she gave it to her husband, who was the one who received this instruction in the first place. And we must take note that he didn't stop her. But he also didn't say a word. Right. Because so he, the scripture says, um, gave it unto her husband, and he did eat. He didn't even pause and say, you know, anything. At least Eve said something. Mm -hmm. Adam just ate it. And Adam mm -hmm. is the one who got the command. At least mm -hmm. Eve said, you know, God said we shouldn't. And the, the serpent had to convince her by appealing to her head, her eye, and her heart, right? Adam, uh-uh. The, the serpent didn't have to appeal to anything. He just ate it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so he, be nice. he, he didn't, he didn't, no, it's okay. He, he didn't put up any fight. He didn't, um, first of all, he, um, he just, let's just put it this way. He fell for it hook, line, and sinker. Yes. He went, he went along with it. And the Bible says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So here we see shame set in. We see that they, they, they realized that they, um, they, didn't do what God said to do, and 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 they realized that they were naked, and so some sort of shame set in. And what did they do? They well, they... well you know, Jay. Before mm -hmm. you even move from there, mm -hmm. I just when it, their eyes were opened, mm -hmm. and they knew that they were naked. Mm -hmm. I just the reason I'm gonna pause there because a lot of times I know I miss that idea of their eyes were open. Mm -hmm. And you all want to know, what were the eyes open to? They're all, they realize we've done something wrong. We have shame. So discovering they're naked could be suggesting they discovered their shame. So now they're gonna cover their shame. Mm -hmm. And the shame of, oh no, oh no, we did wrong. Their eyes were open. They recognized that they had done something and the shame is now setting in. 
And so this is what happened. And I like to refer this as, as humanity's first attempt at religion. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So now they, 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 they try to cover up their shame. And unfortunately, some of, some of our religious practice does the same thing. Um, it, can, it can cover up your shame while you're still acting like the devil. If that's, mm -hmm. the, kind of, if that's the kind of Christian you want to be. Um, but it doesn't work. You know, Jay, I remember a joke. If we have a minute for a joke here. Sure. Um, um, so I heard this joke. So there were two churches. That idea of covering instead of being authentic, instead of being real. There were two churches. And both churches were having a good time, jumping and dancing and really enjoying their worship service. And this outside person was observing both of them and saying, wow, these people are having a good time. But when this observer looked carefully, he discovered that the devil was sitting in the back of one of the churches with his feet up reading a newspaper. He thought that was strange. Then when he went to the other church and observed a little carefully, he noticed that the devil was jumping all over the place and he had his helpers working him and they were working up a sweat, whispering in the ears of the people. So he goes to the devil in the church that, you know, where he's relaxing with the newspaper. And he mm -hmm. said, why is it? You seem to be so busy over there. Even have to call in helpers. And over here, you're just sitting down. And the people are doing the same thing. They're dancing and having a good time. And the devil said, the difference is, these people where I'm sitting down with the newspaper and relaxing, they don't mean it. They're just jumping for jumping's sake. <laughs> Those people in that other church, they mean it. Ooh. They're serious. Mm -hmm. And I can't afford not to whisper in their ears because they're serious about the Lord. Whoa. So, you know, that camouflage, we will wear that all the time and pretend. Amen. It's like sewing fig leaves. Amen. Amen. So let me say this before it actually happens. Um, I have a timer set on here. And you, it's shown me that you have like three minutes left. And so what happens is this. When, you, when your time runs out, I just need you to come back in. Oh, okay. Okay, so that's going to happen in like two minutes and 56 seconds. Just well, come back. I come back in? Just, just, the same, just the same way you, got, you join as a guest. Okay, okay. Same way. And so when you get cut off, just come back in. Okay. All right, so, so um, we see now that this, this we, we, what I call their first attempt, humanity's first attempt at religion, they cover up, they cover themselves with fig leaves. And where did they get that idea from? I don't know, but but they sought a covering. And, and, and you know, so they made these fig leaves and they felt as though that was an adequate covering. But something else happened. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was mm. walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So now here again, we have this intimate relationship between God and Adam and Eve. Even though they did what they did, he's still in the context of intimacy. He's walking and they heard, they heard the sound. They didn't see him yet, 
They heard the sound of him and they recognized. Because, how, do we, how do we know that they recognized him? Because it says they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And, and the Bible says that the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam, where are you? Now, Jackie, I got a joke for you. Yes. I was in a, a bookstore with a friend of mine down on Wall Street. He's a, he's a, he was a minister. And I knew he was going to give me a, a silly answer. And I said to him, why do you think God called out to Adam, where are you? And this brother told me, because he was lost in the bushes and God couldn't find him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Well, so, so the, the, now what's wrong with that, with that analogy? It's because God knows all things. Yes. This is not a, he wasn't trying to find him. He knew where he was. This is a call to accountability. accountability. Where are you? God is asking us the same question today. Mm -hmm. Where are you? And why and, are you hiding? Yeah. Well, and what are you hiding? Where, what are you hiding behind? Where are, yes. you? where are you positioned in relation to me? What kind of life are you living? And this is the same kind of question that we're supposed to be asking ourselves as we are partaking of the Lord's Supper. Yes. And, you know, the King James Version in verse 8 said they hid from the presence of the Lord. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's such a powerful way to put it. Right. So it's not just he was just there. His presence. Amen. Now you about you're getting ready presence. to drop out, but I want you to come back in, Jackie. All you got to do is come in as a guest again, and you will be back with us. So we find so far now that um, the interesting thing is that Adam and Eve they hid, and and they. Um, they hid from God, and as Jackie said, they hid from his presence. And I think that sometimes in our own lives, we try to do that, and we don't even realize that we're doing that. Our hiding, some of our busyness, even in church life, yes. and religious activity, the busyness can actually be a, a form of resistance to intimacy with God. Yes. Now, I know we're supposed to be doing introduction to biblical thought, but I couldn't help just getting a little bit deep for a second there. <laughs> Sometimes our busyness is, is actually a resistance to getting into the presence of God. And, and you know, back to the beginning in, in Genesis chapter 1, God is light. Mm -hmm. And we began to talk about the idea of light and darkness and light dispersing darkness. And also light reveals. And so Adam and Eve knew that God, who is light, would reveal their disobedience. Mm -hmm. And so they couldn't handle the light. They couldn't handle the light at all. So their hiding was almost like they're going into darkness mm. because they don't want to be in the light wow. because their darkness their, their uh, deeds would now be revealed. So the place that they could now live is the darkness. Mm -hmm. That's what I kept thinking about when I thought about God as light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, you know, sometimes when we don't take time to pray, it's because we don't want to be in the presence of God. We don't want to hear what he might say back to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of just avoiding it. 
and I'd rather stay here in, you know, not in conversation. Prayer is a two-way conversation. And, you know, this morning we were talking about the horizontal and vertical relationship. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and there were a few math people in the, Sunday, in the adult Sunday school class. Right. And we talked a little bit about where they intersected. Mm-hmm. That that is the, like the hot spot where the vertical and the horizontal uh, relationship intersected. Mm-hmm. And you have those two lines. And that's the spot you want to be right there. Because we don't want to miss by doing earthly stuff the horizontal stuff, taking care of others and so on. We want to do it with the vertical relationship, which is the relationship with God, because that spot where they meet is the best place. Amen. The ideal. We talked Amen. about that in Sunday school this you, morning. It, as a matter of fact, the Christian walk, um, you, have to be, you have to be engaged on both of, those, both of those lines. Yes. It's not one or the other. You know, you can't be so... You know, in terms of the vertical one, that's between, you know, we're talking about, for somebody who doesn't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the image of the cross. There's a yes. vertical vertical line and a horizontal line. Absolutely. Vert, the vertical line represents you and your relationship with God. The horizontal line represents your relationship with people and community. So you can't have one or the other. So let's talk about the vertical line. You can't be so holy minded that you know earthly good. Yes. That's how they put it. And you can't be so community minded to the neglect of God. Yes. You have to be centered in both. It's not one or the other. They go hand in hand. God reconciled us to himself and to each other in community. Absolutely. Mm. We talked about that today. Absolutely. Mm. And so here, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, they're trying to run away, trying Mm. to run away. Yep. And God said, where are you? And in verse 10, what happens, Jackie, in, in verse 10 in chapter 3, right? So, so in verse 10, this is interesting because he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid myself. This is a powerful verse because look, let's look at it piece by piece. Adam is the one who answered, which he should. I'm okay with that. I hope you're all okay with that. But he declares that he's able to hear the voice of God because he said, I heard. So we know he is capable of hearing. I mean, that's a whole sermon right there. Are we able to hear the voice of God? Adam says, I heard. But he said, I heard your voice. So he's recognizing that this is specific to the voice of God. It didn't just hear anyone. He heard, but he knew it was the voice of God. So he heard, and then he recognized it, that it was the voice of God in the garden. So the garden as the meeting place, because it tells us before that God would come down in the cool of the evening. So that place where they would meet. And then he said, I was afraid, which is interesting because Adam for the whole Two chapters with all the stuff's been going on with Adam, he was never afraid. When God laid him down and ripped that rib or took that rib out of him, there was no fear. But all of a sudden, he's now afraid because he says, and I was afraid. 
And then he gives the reason. He says, because I was naked. And we talked already about this idea of the exposure. Now he knows he's naked and all the reasons why he's naked and how he recognizes his nakedness. He said, I was naked. I was naked. And so my choice, the choice I made was to hide. The choice I made was to hide because rec not recognize you can't hide from God, right? He said, the choice I made was to hide. That's the choice I made. Wow. So his, his, his disobedience left him exposed. Exposed. And he yes. felt as though he had to hide. Now, Jackie, I got to take this piece right here because <laughs> I love this piece. It says, um, um, God says, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the, from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, listen, again, God is not asking these questions because he doesn't know the answer. God is asking these questions as, as a call to for Adam's self-examination and a call to accountability and a call, a call for Adam to identify his position when it comes to what did he do what God told him to do or did he not do or what choice did he make. But this is what the man says. The man said he gets goes into this finger-pointing mode. The man says... The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. <laughs> so the man blames it on the woman. And that's what we've done. Um, theologically, we blame all of this stuff on Eve mm -hmm. uh, as being the, the one who was deceived and all of that. Um, then the Lord... But, but, but you know, uh, Jay, mm -hmm. another, another thing I just noticed, as you were talking, I noticed it. It said, the woman thou gavest me. So not only is he blaming Eve, he's blaming God. Exactly. He's saying, God, you gave me this woman. Exactly. So this woman did it, right? But you gave me the woman. Exactly. You, know, you should take some of the blame, God, is almost what he's saying. He blamed the woman, then he blamed God. Yes. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And then the woman said, the serpent, the serpent did it. <laughs> Oh, yes. So I can imagine them holding up the leaves with one hand and pointing the finger with the other hand. <laughs> yes. But you notice how the woman said it. In the King James Version, he said, the serpent beguiled me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Adam just came right out and says, the woman, the woman told me. Mm -hmm. But the woman said, the serpent, he tricked me. I mm -hmm. really didn't want to do this, she's suggesting. He mm -hmm. beguiled me. He, t he pulled out all the stops and he tricked me, is what she's saying in verse 13. So let's, let us not forget how he tricked her. He, he approached her with the twist, putting doubt and questioning what did God really say. And she fell for it. It appealed to her pride. It appealed to um, that which thought that she would become like God and she could declare her independence from God, no longer being dependent upon God. It appealed to all of that. And, and she fell for it. So we have to be careful in our lives not to allow 
the uh, word of God to be twisted to us by or presented to us in a way that's inconsistent with what the Bible actually says and what it actually means. Um, and how, how, do, how does that happen? Well, it happens from our family members maybe told us something as a child that wasn't right and it turned us away from God in the first place for, you know, for the remainder of our lives or we can look at church folk and see how they don't act right and that turns us away from God and we get tricked into, um, uh, you know, we're pointing the finger at the church, we're talking, pointing the finger at what people said about God and, and we, we get tricked and deceived into abandoning God and feeling as though that we don't need him and then we find ourselves in a rough place in life. And another thing too, we grow up with a lot of these sayings that we hear the adults say and they just have to put a, a few thousand days in there and we think that they come from God and there's nothing biblical about them. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's so, so many of those sayings that we grow up with. And it's like, oh, you know, and when you search the scripture, it's nowhere there. But because we grew up with them and the adults used to say them, we sort of accept them as truth. And, and that's why we have to study the word for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Two things. One, we have to study the word for ourselves. And two, we have to recognize that Holy Spirit is the teacher. Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit is the teacher. And so we're not teaching ourselves. We're just saying, Holy Spirit, what do you have to tell us now? But Holy Spirit will never, ever go against what the word says. So some people try to use it as an excuse. It's like the spirit told me. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't go against the word. The Holy Spirit clarifies the word. The Holy Spirit teaches us the word. Mm-hmm. So, I guess, you know, one of the, um, we, we've seen the, the, in the creation story, we saw God entering into this creation process. It was laying the foundation before he even brought man and woman into the picture. And then he, he breathed the breath of life, he placed them in the garden, he gave them uh, uh, responsibility and boundaries, and those boundaries were violated by their um, disobedience, as we say, to the word of the Lord. And as a result, there were going to be some consequences for that. Um, and those consequences are about what we're going to, and, and in a nutshell, they, they, um, they represent suffering and death. God said, if you eat this, you will surely die. So now we have to think for a moment of what, well, what are we talking about? Death. We're talking about two things in death. We're talking about physical dying and we're talking about a separation from God. Separation of, of being outside of God's will for your life, which is to me is the worst thing that can happen to a person. So, um, Jackie, what do you have anything you want to say about this um, pronouncement of the consequences because you have done this? Well, well you know, when, 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 G, when God says this, when God says this, and um, I, because we only have a few minutes, right? We have mm -hmm. 10 minutes to go? Yep. I think we should stop. We shouldn't go into the curse yet. Okay. But what I would like to 
think about is this idea of God sort of exposing their sin. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just really sticking with me. Um, God actually saying to them, guess what? I know what you did. I know what you did. You haven't surprised me. I know what you did. And he's exposing their sin. So even though they're trying to blame other people, like Eve trying to blame the serpent and Adam trying to blame Eve, God is saying, ah, uh -uh, don't come to me with that. Mm -hmm. Don't come to me with that. Because guess what? You knew better and you did it. He's mm -hmm. exposing their sin, exposing what they've done. And it takes us back to this idea, which I, 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 I never thought of this before, but Reverend Jay, you're making me think of it. Just light and darkness, light and darkness, and the light exposing, exposing their sin, exposing their disobedience. Because if you think about it, what is the real sin here? Disobedience. God said you shouldn't, and you did. Disobedience. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, again, with the light and the darkness, we, we, as we go further along in the biblical text, light and dark becomes representative of, of, of righteousness prevailing over evil. And, and um, um, the darkness is the absence of light. And they were, Adam and Eve were exposed to themselves. They, they, God exposed, shined a little light on their, on their deeds. And they got to see for themselves, um, they could see clearly what they had done and caused them to run into hiding. So we have to be careful, first of all, we're, that we don't um, allow our, even when we, when we fall short, as they say, when we mess up in life, we have to be careful not to hide from God. That is the time when you should embrace God and not seclude yourself or run off into isolation, but you should try to draw closer to God as opposed to hiding from him. Um, so we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. You know, there's, there's, uh, this is telling me that there's 90 people in, in the room, and I just want to take a moment to thank all of you for coming and listening. Those, so maybe you passed through the room, or maybe you stuck around and listened. And if you did stick around and listen. I would hope that you heard something that you may not have heard before and, and allow God to speak to you. We're going to return next week at the same time next Sunday, 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time with a um, another look into another book from the, um, the first out of the first five books of the Bible, which is called the law for um, the Torah. And that book will be Exodus. And um, there's a lot in that. There's a lot of themes that come out that are even relative to our own life journey. So, Jackie, I want to thank Professor Jacqueline Goff McNish for coming in and, and contributing so um, dearly and, and, and to, this, to this conversation. If you have any questions that you'd like us to, to, to uh, respond to, you can, if you look at my profile, you'll see my, um, the website address and you can always, you know, you can just, there's an email function on that website. You can um, um, pop in a question there or you can, um, these episodes show up on that website. It'll, it'll be up by tomorrow, maybe even later tonight. And you can um, type in a comment 
on the episode page. Each episode has a page in and of itself. You can you can um, you can uh, listen to it again. You can watch it on YouTube on the same page, and you can enter your comments or your questions. So please feel free to do that. Jackie, you have any closing words for us? Well, I, I just want to um, thank you, of course, Jay, um, for having me. This was a new and very profound experience and very interesting for me and forced me to, to look at Genesis one more time. So thank you so much. Thank you. Amen. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming in. God bless you. I pray that uh, you would draw close to God and, and we, that we all come out of our hiding in any way that it shows up <clears throat> and embrace God in, even in our time of, of uh, doubt and trouble. Is the time that we should turn to God. So God bless you. Have a good day and we'll see you next week. God bless you.